All right, well, we're going to get into our ministry time today. We're going to dig into the Word of God. We have been teaching through the book of Romans. We have been teaching this concept of the Roman road, that in the book of Romans, Paul has laid out a journey for us to understand the gospel so that we can be confident in it, so that we can see it transform our lives, but also so that we can share it with others. And today we are in Romans chapter 10. And this is kind of the climax of the Roman road. This is really the, the pinnacle of, of Paul's message about the gospel and how we can share the gospel. And so today I want to talk to you from the title of Let's Roll. Let's Roll. On September 11th, 2001, United Flight 93 took off from Newark, New Jersey. It was on its way to San Francisco, California. 46 minutes after takeoff, hijackers stormed the cockpit, took over the airplane, and they immediately steered the airplane off course and pointed it towards Washington, D.C. The passengers that were on the plane... As they began to understand what was going on, they started making phone calls, trying to call family members and, and spouses and let people know what was going on. And in the midst of those phone calls, they found out that two planes had already flown into the World Trade Center. They found out that another plane had already crashed into the Pentagon. And so they began to surmise that the target of their airplane was most likely either the White House or the Capitol building. And the passengers began to discuss among themselves, should they do something? Should they stop it? And so they decided that they, they came together with a plan that if they all worked together, they could storm the cockpit themselves. They could take the plane back. And that's exactly what they began to do. They, they pushed forward. They most likely killed the hijacker that was guarding the cockpit door, and they began to push on the cockpit door. Now, the hijackers, they started pitching the plane left and right, up and down. They started pitching the plane to throw the passengers off balance so that they wouldn't have the leverage to break through the cockpit door. But the cockpit voice recorder that they discovered afterwards, you could tell from the recordings that they did breach the cockpit door. But unfortunately, by the time they were able to get in and, and to, to, to take over from the hijackers, the hijackers had already put the airplane into a nosedive that they could not pull out of. And that airplane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. All 44 people on board were killed. But the bravery of those passengers saved countless lives of whatever the target was of that terrorist attack using that airplane. One of the passengers on the plane, his name was Todd Beamer. He was trying to call his wife, but the phone call wasn't going through, and so eventually his phone call connected with the customer service of his phone company. And the gal that answered realized something that was going on, and so she got her supervisor on the phone. And her supervisor was on the phone when she heard the last audible words that Todd Beamer spoke. And those last audible words were, Are you ready? Okay, let's roll. Let's roll. And those passengers did something amazing that day. And that phrase, let's roll, has become a rallying cry for doing things that are brave for doing things that are courageous, for doing things that are sacrificial. President Bush at that time used that phrase 
uh, in, in, in one of his speeches to the nation as, as he tried to lead the nation through this tragedy. Let's roll. I want to talk to you today about this idea of let's roll. And if you've got your notes, you can find the notes attached to this service video on our website. You can find the notes attached to this audio podcast. Or you can also go to our church app and you can use the notes digitally on our church app. If you've got your notes, you can see that our big picture point today is this. If the gospel has changed your life, it's time to share it with somebody else. Paul is going to give us a a challenge today. He's going to give us a call from Romans 10, and that call is let's roll. Come on, as followers of Christ, it's time to do something brave. It's time to do something courageous. It's time to do something sacrificial. It's time to do something to get the gospel message out. We're going to dive into this passage together today, and we're going to discover two things from this passage. First, Paul is going to reaffirm the gospel of salvation and how we can receive it. And then Paul is going to challenge us today, let's roll. It's time to get out there and to begin to share this gospel. All right, well, let's get into our Bible passage today. We're reading Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 5. And it starts out here, it says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. I like starting here because before Paul gets into confirming what does work and gets into confirming how we can receive salvation through the gospel, is he wants to take some time to remind us that our ways don't work. Our ways don't work. And I want to talk to you about just a couple of ways that we tend to lean on as people that don't work. And the first one is human effort. Human effort, which includes following rules. This is what Paul is talking about here when when Moses says that if a man is going to practice righteousness based on the law, righteousness based on rules, then you've got to follow every single rule perfectly All the time for your entire life. And Moses knew it and Paul knew it, which is why Paul is including it here, that we can't do that. We can never pull that off. Listen, our human effort will never get us into heaven. Paul goes on in verses 6 and 7. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy here, but he says, The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your hearts, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Basically, he's talking about all these ideas of human efforts, right, that I have to do so many things to ascend to a height where I can connect with Jesus in the heavenly places, or I have to do so many things to descend into Sheol to uh, connect with Jesus to bring about the resurrection. No, I don't have to do any of that human efforts. There is no amount of being good There is no amount of spiritual journey or pilgrimage that we could go on to go to some distant place to find a connection with God. There is no amount of following rules that is going to enact the gospel in our lives, that is going to bring us to salvation. The second one is cultural identification. Cultural identification. 
As Paul was writing to the church in Rome, a lot of the people that he was writing to were Jewish in their background, Jewish in their ethnicity, Jewish in their religion. And for the Jewish people at this point, they had really identified with the fact that we're right with God because we're Jewish. And Paul is pointing out not only here in Romans 10, but through the whole book of Romans, that being Jewish doesn't make you right with God. And if we were to apply that today in our current culture, is that there is no cultural identification that makes you right with God. Things like, my parents were Christian. It doesn't work. I, I, I'm, I'm an American. We, we all follow God here in America. No, that, that doesn't work. Some sort of cultural identification doesn't work. And the last one I want to talk to you about is religious platitudes. What is a platitude? A platitude is a phrase that gets repeated so often that it's lost its impact. It's lost its meaning. And so a religious platitude is a religious phrase. And a lot of us, we like to do this. We like to share religious phrases because we think that's what makes us right with God. So we'll say things like, well, God is good, or God is with me, or God will work this out, or even I believe in God. And we have these phrases, these platitudes that we use, but none of us is going to go to heaven because we repeated some religious phrases. There is only one declaration that's going to get us to heaven and Paul teaches us here in just a moment what that one declaration is. But we've got to start from the understanding that our ways don't work. So let's talk about what does work. Let's pick it up in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Listen, he's saying that the word is near to you. You don't have to go on a long journey. You don't have to go to a faraway place to, to find your faith or to connect with Jesus. He says, no, it's as close as the words that are about to come out of your mouth. It is as close to you as feeling your own heartbeat in your chest. What you need for salvation is that close. He goes on in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if our way doesn't work, let's talk about the way of faith. Right, The way of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us two things that are necessary to enact this gospel salvation, to tap into everything that Jesus purchased for us. The first is to believe in your hearts. To believe in your heart. And listen, this believing in your hearts is different than believing in your head. You see, it goes beyond intellectual agreement. It's a trust that inspires action. 
right? It goes beyond intellectual agreement. We can, we can believe a lot of things in our head. We can, we can believe something because it's been presented to us as a fact. It's been presented to us as an idea. But simply believing something in our head is not going to make us right with God. And James 2.19, James says that, the, that says that you believe that God is one and you do well, but the demons also believe and shudder. Listen, believing in God intellectually isn't enough. Even the demons do that, and I can tell you the demons aren't going to heaven. It's got to go beyond an intellectual agreement, and it's got to be a belief in our hearts. And that belief runs so deep that there is a trust that inspires action. Kind of the best metaphor I could use would be to talk about some sort of an addictive behavior. You could think of any addictive drug or any addictive behavior. I'm just going to use smoking because I think it's a good metaphor, right? Most of us have come to understand that smoking causes cancer, and sooner or later it's going to kill us because the cancer is going to get into our lungs and it's going to infect our body. Most of us believe that. We can intellectually agree with that, and yet somebody who intellectually agrees with the fact that smoking causes cancer and that cancer can kill you still smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Why is that? Because intellectual agreement doesn't change the heart. And you see, in that person's heart, there is still an addiction to the cigarettes. There is still something in that person's heart where what they're getting out of smoking the cigarette, that they're trusting that that cigarette is going to meet their needs. There also might be a physical addiction going on. There also might be a mental addiction going on. But even though there's intellectual agreement that smoking causes cancer and could kill me, that there is not that belief in the heart that inspires action. For that person to actually quit smoking, there has to be a, a belief deep in their hearts that something else in their life could meet their emotional needs and can meet their physical needs and something else in their life could be more fulfilling than the cigarettes that they're addicted to smoking and when they have that belief in their hearts then you will see a new action then you will see a transformation in their behavior and the same thing is true with the gospel we have to go beyond an intellectual agreement that, yeah, I believe in God. No, and it has to go to a belief in the heart, a trust that inspires action, a trust that says, you know what, my old way of life isn't going to meet my needs anymore. My old way of thinking, my old way of doing things, I'm not going to trust in that old way anymore. I'm going to trust in a new way. And that we would believe in our hearts. We would believe what? That God raised Jesus from the dead. Why is that so important? Because when people questioned whether Jesus was God, he pointed them to the resurrection as the proof that he was everything he said he would be. And so when it says that we must believe in the resurrection, what it's saying is that we must believe deep in our hearts that Jesus is everything he said he was, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus wants to lead us into a new life and a new destiny and a new eternity. And when we can believe that deeply in our hearts, there will be a trust that inspires action. And the second part, of the way of faith that Paul teaches us is to confess with your mouth. 
that there is a declaration that we have to make with our mouths. And what is that declaration? Jesus is Lord. You see, that's not just a religious platitude. That is a declaration of faith that Jesus is Lord. What does this mean? Because we don't use the word Lord a whole lot in our, in our present day language. Well, that word Lord in the original language that Paul was writing in was the word kurios. And kurios carried with it the connotation of a master, like the way a slave would submit to their master, that their kurios, their master, had full authority over their life and that they would do whatever their master said and they would be obedient because they belonged to their curios. And here's the thing, to declare Jesus is Lord, to declare that Jesus is the curios of our life, we have to recognize we can only have one curios. And so this was profound as Paul was speaking, because you think about the Jews, for the Jews, their curios was God the Father. And so to declare Jesus is Lord for Jewish people was to declare that Jesus was equal with the Father, that they were one and the same, and that that was going to radically transform their life and their faith. And for Gentile people in Rome to declare Jesus is Lord, who was their curios? It was the Caesar of the Roman Empire. At that time, they believed that their Caesar had godlike power, that their Caesar had a godlike position, and Caesar was their curios. And so for a Gentile in Rome to declare Jesus as Lord was to say that, you know what, Jesus is above the Caesar. Jesus has more authority in my life than Caesar. Jesus has more authority in my life than the Roman Empire. And so both for the Jews and for the Roman Gentiles, to declare Jesus as Lord is a life-changing declaration. And I believe it's a life-changing declaration for us today as well to say that Jesus is our curios, to say that Jesus is above everything in our lives, and our lives belong to Him, and we will do whatever He says, and we will live our lives according to His will. That is the type of declaration with our mouth that opens up the gospel of salvation in our lives. Well, let's get into the next section because as Paul has now established that the only way to get to heaven, it's not through our way, it's not through our effort, the only way that works is the way of faith in Jesus Christ. It's through His work on the cross. It's through the power of His resurrection. And now Paul has established that if we would believe deep in our hearts and if we would declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, all that we would be made right with God. And then he says, now it's time to roll. He says, come on, let's roll. It's time to do something brave. It's time to do something courageous. It's time to do something sacrificial. The world needs to know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if we won't tell them, how will they know? Come on, let's pick it up in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not heard? I'm sorry, in whom they have not believed. And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Listen, if we look at verses 14 and 15, what we see is we actually see a reverse chronological order. And so if we flip the reverse chronological order, then we're going to see the process in phases of how somebody comes to salvation in Christ. So we're going to put this on the screen, and I know this is a ton of blanks in your notes, and so we're going to leave it on the screen for plenty of time for you to get your notes filled in. But here's the six phases. Christ sends, the messenger preaches, the person hears, the hearer believes, the believer calls on the Lord, and Christ saves. And then the cool thing is, is that those people that Christ saves, he then sends. So it's like a cycle. It starts all over again. But here's the thing. If you look at these six phases of what happens as somebody comes to salvation, us sharing the gospel is only one of those phases. So we are only one-sixth of the process. If you want to do your math, that's like 16.7%. We are only one-sixth of the process. I think we put too much pressure on ourselves, and because we put too much pressure on ourselves, we scare ourselves out of doing it. And so we don't share the gospel. But listen. The only thing we're responsible for is sharing the gospel. That's the only part of these six phases. It says that Christ sends us. And by saying that Christ sends us, it's implying that Christ is going to anoint us. And I know anoint is one of those words that, that we don't really use outside of church circles. So let me share with you what that means. To be anointed means to be empowered for more effective ministry. So if Christ is sending us, that means he's going to empower us to be effective, to do the thing that he sent us to do. So I think it's important that we don't scare ourselves out of preaching the gospel, but we recognize that we're just playing one part, and we just need to focus on what we are responsible for. So just really quickly, what, what are we responsible to do? Well, first off, seek a greater anointing. That's why prayer time in the secret place is so important. Because the more that we commune with the Holy Spirit in the secret place, the more His anointing is going to be on us and the more effective we're going to be. So we seek a greater anointing. Another thing we're responsible for, practice your presentation. And I know some people are like, well, I mean, if you practice it, then that's going to kind of, that's not really spiritual. That's not really the power of God. Well, well how are you going to know what you're going to say when you have the opportunity to share the gospel? We practice for everything else in life, so why would we not practice for the most important thing we're going to do in life? Practice your presentation. Practice how you're going to share it. And then finally, what are we responsible for? We're responsible to actually preach the gospel and to actually preach it out loud. I know people like to say, well, I preach the gospel with my actions. I preach the gospel with my attitude. Yes, but sooner or later, you're going to have to tell people out loud that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So just focus on what we're responsible for. And then understand that though the gospel is available for all, not all will receive it. It's available for all, but not all will receive it. In verse 16, he says, However, they did not all heed the good news. 
And then he quotes Isaiah, who actually said in frustration, Lord, who has believed our reports? Isaiah was getting discouraged. People aren't believing. Listen, the gospel is available for all. It is the most exclusive, I'm sorry, most inclusive spiritual message of all time because it applies to everybody and it's free to everybody and nobody has to do anything to earn it. It's available to all, but not all will receive it. And I think this is important for us if we're going to go out and share the gospel and not be scared is to recognize that some people are going to reject it. Some people are going to turn it down. In order for somebody to receive the gospel, their hearing of the word has to be mixed with faith in the word, and we are not responsible for their faith. That's between them and God, and we're going to have to trust God to do the rest of the work after we share the gospel. But part of the problem is that we make it too much about us. Don't make it about you. Oh, well, what if they reject me? Then I'm going to feel insecure. Well, what if they reject me? Then I'm going to feel bad. Well, what if they make fun of me because I, what, I, what I believe in? And, and, and what about this? Stop making it about you. It's not about you. Listen, whether they say yes or no, you're still going to heaven. So stop worrying about yourself. And let's start worrying about the people that aren't going to heaven. And if somebody turns us down, listen, I shared the gospel with somebody this week, and they did not give their heart to Christ. If the only thing that we feel bad about is that we got rejected, we're missing the point. What we should feel bad about is that that person is still going to hell, and we still should share more to give them an opportunity to respond in faith. Stop making it about you and about your feelings and about your reputation. And let's make it about the people that need salvation. And if we would do that and realize that it's not so much on us, maybe, just maybe, we would go out and we would share the gospel more. There's a quote. I couldn't figure out exactly who said it because it's been attributed to to, uh Martin Luther, it's been attributed to other people, and so I can't guarantee you who said it, but the quote says this, sharing the gospel is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. It's that simple. We were desperate. We were hopeless and lost on our own, and then we found the source. We found Jesus, and now we're just one beggar telling another beggar, hey, I found the bread. I found the bread. Now I'm going to tell you where to find it. You're going to have to go find it yourself. I can't make you find it, but I'm going to tell you where to find it. Right? Think about that. And when you're eating something really good, what's the first thing you say to the person that you're eating with? Man, this is so good. You should try this. Well, if it comes so naturally for us when we're eating something delicious, why don't we do the same thing with Jesus? Just tell everybody, man, Jesus is so good. You got to try this. You got to try this. Let me have the worship team come back up. I want to finish by praying for you today. Come on. It's time to roll. A bunch of passengers on an airplane knew that they were probably going to die anyway. But they could do something, something bold, something courageous to make sure that others didn't have to die. 
And they said, let's roll. Come on. The Word of God is challenging us today. Let's roll. It's time to roll. People are going to die without the gospel if we don't start doing something. And how are they going to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? God is calling forth the preachers right now. Jesus is anointing you, and he is sending you out to preach the gospel. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that, Lord, it not be my words that stir people. God, I pray that it would be your words. It would be your Holy Spirit. It would be a deep conviction of your presence that would come upon people right now in Jesus' name. Oh, and that people would uh, right now begin to be stirred to share the gospel as never before. For followers of Christ that have become complacent, for followers of Christ that have focused too much on ourselves, for followers of Christ that have uh, made our faith too much about just us going through our religious motions. Oh, Father, let a new passion burn. Oh, Lord, fan into flame the gift of God that is inside of us. Open our eyes to see the lost and the dying and the hurting in a fresh and new way. Let us see with your eyes, God, and let this fire burn inside of us that we couldn't keep quiet anymore now that we we're not going to make it about us anymore people need the gospel people need the gospel so send us lord right now god i pray this would be a moment of anointing and commissioning as we stand in your presence oh holy spirit pour over us like an anointing oil covering us from head to toe anoint us to be effective preachers of the gospel Oh, and then Jesus, commission us. Send us out to make disciples of all nations. Send us out to spread the gospel far and wide. Send us out to share the truth with those we're in relationship with. Send us, Lord. Thank you for that commissioning. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the fire burning inside of us. We give you all the praise today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.